I know a lot about golf. It's time for those weekend golf guys. Well, we're waiting. On SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Here's John Ashton and Jeff Smith. It is us, those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith, who will be in and out today a little bit because of some uh, some some contractual obligations he has out on the practice tee. A little bit of fatherly stuff he has to do today. Yep. He, actually, he doesn't. Got some fun stuff. You know, I can teach golf. Yeah, he doesn't have to do the fatherly stuff. He chooses to do the fatherly stuff because he's that kind of guy. We can talk about that really briefly. <laughs> there is There is one thing, though, that I have to bring up. I'm a preacher's kid, okay? So I can tell jokes about preachers, right? Yes. So there's this preacher. You have license to do so. That is right. So there's this preacher who wakes up one morning and decides that rather than going to church today, he is going to go play golf. So he calls his assistant pastor and says, listen, I'm just under the weather. I can't make it. Just can't make it. Packs up everything, heads to a town about 30 miles away where nobody knows him. Gets a tee time and gets out there and plays. Gets to the seventh hole. It's a short par four. He hits a beautiful drive straight down the middle. And before the ball can even come into contact with the ground, a huge gust of wind pops up from his back, takes the ball, sails it all the way to the green, rolls in for a hole-in-one on a par four. <laughs> An angel up in heaven looks at God and says, Hey, he played hooky today. Why did you do that for him? And God just looked and smirked and said, huh, Who's he going to tell? <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell anybody. <laughs> and I think we have all run into that. Some of the best shots we have ever done in our life are when we're playing alone. Or yeah. playing with people we don't know. <laughs> and you yeah, come, yeah, that's right. They're, they're yeah. just worthless as witnesses. Yeah, and you come back and you tell you know your regular playing partners about this wonderful shot you hit, and they just kind of look at you, and they go, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that this priest traded in praying for cussing. <laughs> That's where I thought you were headed with that. No, no, no. They don't do that. <laughs> At least that joke is one I can't tell, but we'll get to it later. Listen, we're going to talk to um, a bunch of guys, well, a couple of them from Great Britain. They have great accents and great stories. They may or may not have anything directly to do with golf, but they were so much fun to talk to. We're going we're to let it go. And then uh, we're going to talk about a little bit uh, about a uh, practice plan with Jeff. And we are coming right back, so stick with us. We're all this weekend golf, guys. I don't have a whole lot of free time. I don't have a whole lot of time to sit around thinking about things I could do that would be really cool. I really envy the guys who have the time to do that. Like I said, I just don't have time to think about it. don't have time to research it. don't have time to even know what it's about. That is up until I came upon Bespoke Post, B-E-S-P-O-K-E Post. They got a box of awesome that they're sending to me every month now. Go to boxofawesome.com and check it out. Cool stuff. But the really cool thing was a couple of cocktail glasses. These cocktail glasses were like weebles. They don't sit flat. They move. That's the best thing to do for whiskey is to put it in a glass like that. So suddenly I am very cool. So you want to be able to uh, be cool through no work of your own and take the credit for it, you need to check out boxofawesome.com. Enter the code WEEKEND at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your first order. Boxofawesome.com, code WEEKEND. Boxofawesome.com, code WEEKEND. Get 20% off your first box. Bespoke post. Themed boxes for guys that give a damn. 
If you're in sales, you know that people buy things from people they know, they like, and they trust. It can take forever to build that kind of a relationship unless you use golf. Business golf is the quickest way to build trust with your clients and potential customers. TheBusinessGolfCourse.com. Go there now and check it out. And welcome back. We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. Jeff Smith is out on the uh, the practice green. Okay, well, you know, when you teach golf for a living and they come in and say, I want a lesson, you kind of have to give it to them. But I am here, and Stephen is here. Stephen Mitchell. Another guest we've had on our show today with a British accent. And you're not from Tennessee either, are you, Stephen? We just uh, <laughs> no. I'm I'm curious who's the first one. <laughs> we had we had a guy named Richie Michaels who is uh, a a, uh, uh-huh. a distillery expert. Oh no! Yes, my my, my second favorite topic. But I, I used to live in Scotland. I lived up there for about twenty years. My, my, my wife's from Glasgow. Well, there you so, go. So um, yeah, whis- whiskey is an important part of life. You know, it's an important part of golf too. The the rumor is that eighteen hole that a golf course has eighteen holes because there are eighteen shots in a fifth of scotch. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a great story, and I'm sticking to it. So well, I go. could tell you a story about Glen Eagles. I used to play there quite an awful lot, and they had a halfway house after nine holes. Uh-huh. And um, yep. It used to take about six hours to get around. <laughs> Were you weaving or did you stop and rest until you could get by without weaving? No, uh, we just waiting for the Americans <laughs> to get on with it. <laughs> That's it. Blame it on the Americans. All right, let's talk about your book. Mm-hmm. And, and thank you, by the way, Nine Tenths. And it's yes. this is the first of three? Uh, well, yes, it is. Um, the, the three are actually complete. Um, uh-huh. So I've only I've only published the first one so far. Second one, which is called Up in the Game, will be next year, and the the Spoils of Law is the third one, and that'll come in in uh, twenty one. So just eke them out a little bit, right. um, because it, it's actually uh, there's a lot of effort needs to be put in in order to get the editing right. And the, the writing actually is quite easy, but it's the editing that takes the time. So you've got to be careful yeah. because the, there's, there's always folk out there that are quick to criticize uh, <laughs> and you don't want to give them that opportunity. <laughs> do, you, do you do the editing manually or do you, you don't, you don't rely well, on like spell check and, and the grammar checks. Uh, well, yeah, spell check heavily. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, gra- grammar is um, is something which I, I, I was never taught at school. So it's something yeah. I've picked up since. Maybe maybe that's something I should let everybody know that, you know, you, you shouldn't be frightened of the criticism. If you, if you want to write something, just write it, get mm-hmm. out there, do it. Because you're doing it for your own enjoyment. You're doing it for your, for your own pleasure. Right. Uh, and you've got to be a little bit thick-skinned. But just 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 ride it. Um, t- take it on board. You can't be too adverse to criticism. Nothing's perfect. No one can get it perfect. And usually the critics are the ones that have never even attempted it themselves. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. do it. If, if you've got a book inside you, just write it. Those that can do and those that can't critique others who do. That is it. But now this this is you say. Well, why are you talking about a book, John, on a golf show? British golf themed legal mysteries. Slightly niche, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, with with the benefit of hindsight, maybe uh, in order to get published, in in order to get a literary agent, in order to get the attention of a publisher. Uh, lesson learned: Don't ever include the word golf in the title. <laughs> 
<laughs> because, because even if it's the best best novel in the world, you don't stand a chance. But anyway, regardless, I've, I've, I've done it for myself. There but yes, go. golf-themed legal mysteries. Do, do you know what? I, I didn't actually start off with the intention of completing it. I saw a little article a long time ago, is a golfer, a gentleman, uh, and, and it was about a case in law that was back in the 1920s, 1930s. Uh, that, that just got me thinking, and I started jotting a few notes down, and uh, the, the little little piece that was going to go on social media then turned into something a little bit bigger. And you know what it's like, John, you're a journalist. Uh, mm. You just don't know when to stop. And I wanted to, <laughs> I actually kept on writing in order to find out how it ended. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just went on from that. And after writing the first one, you, you get the bug and you just want yeah. to keep on doing it. But the premise behind it is um, a firm of solicitors. I think I think you probably call them uh, lawyers mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. Uh, and firm of solicitors that was established in 1920 by a chap called Edward Bainbridge. His passion was golf. And, and there's a reason why the, um, the practice was set up. He had a lot of help. If you can wade through the series and get to book three, you find out the reason why. Uh, but skip two generations to the present. His grandson, Maurice Bainbridge, he's just having a, it's just an ordinary practice. Uh, and he's starting to get people coming through his door that have issues that are golf related. He has no interest in golf, uh, but he wants to help them and only because his grandfather was involved. So he, he kind of feels a little incumbent on, on giving this giving them the assistance that they need. So he um, he tries to help, but he, he's lacking a lot of the basic information that he needs to give that advice. So he goes seeking out and he finds his grandfather's diaries. The Bainbridge Diaries is the uh, sort of tagline for the series. Right. Uh, and uh, as he wades his way through those, he, he, not only does it help him in resolving the cases, and there are three incidents so far, it also gives me as a writer the opportunity to indulge a little bit uh, because I can start throwing in, throwing anecdotes from things that are actually contained within the diary. For example, uh, there's the chap uh, who wants to divorce his wife under uh, the Gaming and Lotteries Act, only because it, in his view, he argued that it was a wager that didn't pay off. So it's it's little things like that that happened in back in the 20s and 30s, in a different time, where different standards, where legal incidents were quite quirky. Yeah. Um, it gives it gives me the it gives me the chance just to indulge a little bit. You've also brought in some of your your own personal stuff into it too, because you you are a hickory golf collector, are you not? I am. Yes. Yes. Um, I've got too many, um, and I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> there, there comes a point where. Enough is enough, mm-hmm. um, but but yeah, I mean, I'm very interested in in the history of golf. Have you ever uh, played in any of the hickory tournaments? Yeah, it's too expensive. Okay. Um, I tend to use the good ones uh, and end up breaking them. Uh, <laughs> and every time I infamous shot, I, I sort of on a par three, I, I had this thing called a blaster. You'll you'll never find another one. Uh, uh, so I used it and I got within two feet. Of the flag, but I broke the head in the in the process, so that cost me about two hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, I don't know what that equates to, so it, it is an expensive <laughs> hobby. <laughs> Come on, you got to be careful. Come on, yeah. Stephen. 
Stephen Mitchell, our guest, author of Nine Tenths, The Brain, excuse me, The Bainbridge Diaries, and it's British golf-themed legal mysteries. And he has given us, in case you just joined us, he has given us the uh, the caveat, don't ever use golf if you're writing a book to get noticed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and John, um, you can actually get the uh, the ebook version of Nine Tenths for free. Uh, I'm, run I'm running a promotion um, between the the 5th and the 12th of July. Okay, so that's now so, through next Friday. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So just pop along to Amazon.com, search for Stephen Mitchell with a P, PH, Bainbridge Diaries, um, 9 tenths, and there you'll be able to pick it up for nothing. Or you could visit the website, um, novel novelgolf.com. That's fantastic. Good book. I have not been able to finish it yet, but it's, it's uh, very intriguing. Stephen Mitchell, yeah. the name of the book, Nine Tenths, number one of three, or trilogies is such a cool thing, but uh, one of three of the Bainbridge Diaries. And like you said, go to uh, Amazon.com right now, and through next Friday, you can download the um, the, the Kindle version, the ebook version, yes. for absolutely free. Appreciate exactly. that. Appreciate and it, it comes it comes with a money back guarantee as well. So, <laughs> it, so if if you are totally disappointed, <laughs> he will not only if you don't like it, he will not only refund your money, he will double your money. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why stop there? <laughs> that is it. No, I love that. Absolutely free with a money back guarantee. Stephen Mitchell. Yeah. Golfer, yeah, yeah. collector, author par excellence. Appreciate your time with us here on those weekend golf guys, sir. And you too, hang out with us because uh, I think we found Jeff and we're coming right back. Everybody's got a box. You got a box of razors they'll send you every month. I got a box of this they'll send you every month. I got a box of that they'll send you every month. But only Bespoke Post has a box of awesome that they will send you every month. And that is not hyperbole. You go to boxofawesome.com. They will ask you a few questions. They will get a feel for who you are, what you're into. Every month, they will send you an email saying, hey, we got this box for you, and in it will be X, Y, and Z. It'll cost less than 50 bucks, but guaranteed to be worth over 70 If you're not feeling it, just say, I'm not really into this stuff, guys. So I'll pass. Catch me next month. It's that easy. Boxofawesome.com. You want this stuff, trust me. It's stuff you never even think that you should have, but when you see it, you go, oh, wow. I've always wanted this. I just never knew it. It's a box of coolness. It's a box of awesome. Every month, boxofawesome.com. Use the code WEEKEND. Get 20% off your first box. Hey, welcome back. We are those weekend golf guys. I am John Ashton. We have uh, a guy on the phone with us, Richie Michaels, who's the national ambassador for the Uncle Nearest Whiskey. First off, just want to say, hey, Richie, thanks for joining us here on those weekend golf guys. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, John. Yeah, thanks for having me. They say you're in uh, Tennessee, but that's not a Tennessee accent, I understand, I hear. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, Uncle Nearest is a, is a Tennessee whiskey, but I myself, uh, I originate from London, England. Okay. I thought you're supposed to be a Scotch drinker if you're in London. Uh, well, you know, traditionally, folks in in London and the UK they drink a lot of Scotch and Irish whiskey. But because I'm a very law-abiding citizen, John, I actually left England when I was 18 years old, so I was never old enough 
to imbibe when I live there. <laughs> my entire uh, adult life has been spent here in the U.S., and so I, I just got engulfed in, in the beautiful American whiskey that you guys produce over here. Okay. I would like to point out, just because I listen to words, and words are very important, he said he was never old enough to imbibe. He didn't say he never did imbibe. Okay, I just want to make that point clear. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a little tipple here and there. Maybe I sneak some out of my parents' cabinet. I, who knows? Yeah, it's kind of tough with whiskey, man, because with vodka and gin, it's great. You can replace it with water, and half the time, they'll never know. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's why you got to – in England, we always have tea on hand, and that's so that our kids can replace the whiskey uh, whenever we steal it. I knew there was a reason for that tradition. It makes perfect sense to me now. First off, Richie, again, want to thank you for, for hanging out with us here a little bit. And, and I think you're going to be the, the, the first of two gentlemen today who will be on the show with a British accent. We've got a, uh, an author named Stephen Mitchell who's coming up in another segment. But let's talk about whiskey. Jack Daniels is a name that everybody, whether you drink whiskey or not, everybody understands, knows, is familiar with. Uncle Nearest Green is a gentleman who actually taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, you know, all around the world, everyone is, is so familiar with, with the name Jack Daniel. But what a lot of people do not realize is that Jack was not the originator of Tennessee whiskey. Jack actually learned his trade from a man named Nearest Green. And so Nearest was the guy who came up with the techniques uh, for making whiskey that are now legally binding for Tennessee whiskey. And, and the technique in particular that he came up with was to filter his whiskey through charcoal made from sugar maple trees before he would put it in the barrel to age. So where Jack comes into the whole story is that the nearest green was, was making whiskey on a little farm in Lynchburg, Tennessee. When Jack was just a, a little boy, uh, he ran away from home. He actually left his family at the age of six. And um, at the age of eight in the year 1856, Jack actually went to live with Nearest Green on that farm distillery where Nearest was, was making his whiskey uh, back in 1856. And so at the age of eight, Jack Daniel met Nearest Green, and, and that was the moment that really changed the course of, of both their lives forever. Jack learned how to make, make whiskey from Nearest, but learned how to make it that very specific way that Nearest was making it by filtering it through charcoal before putting it in the, in the barrel. Uh, and, you know, Jack stayed with Nearest on that farm for about the next 11 years of his life till he was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. And then that whole time just was engulfed in Nearest Green's world of distillation. Uh, and Jack went and, and turned it into a full career for, for himself. Yeah, he, he did quite well for not only himself, but the rest of his family at the progeny yet to come. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he did a fantastic job of not just uh, creating a, a, a now world-famous distillery, but he, Jack was very uh, astute at, at marketing and sales, and that's really what, where he excelled at in his day. So then when I assume that uh, Uncle Nearest Whiskey, named after Nearest Green, is also a Tennessee whiskey? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, so we are a Tennessee whiskey. We, uh, we try and stick to, to form of what we believe Nearest would be doing if, if he was here today making whiskey. So obviously, Nearest was the man who came up with the techniques that define Tennessee whiskey. And so we follow all of those same techniques that, that define Tennessee whiskey, just like Nearest did. Um, and we bottle it at 100 proof because we, we think that that's the proof that Nearest was bottling his whiskey at uh, during his days. And we do some really uh, unique filtration processes to our whiskey that make it very light and, and 
easy to drink. Um, so even the most novice of whiskey drinkers can can take a sip of Uncle Nearest whiskey and really, really enjoy it because it's so light. And that's kind of an ode to Nearest as well, because he became famous around Tennessee for having the lightest and easiest to drink whiskey because of that that unique filtration he was using. Um, so it's all kind of uh, ties into wanting to honor Nearest uh, to, as best we can mm-hmm. in everything we, we do in, in every aspect of our company. Richie Michaels, he's a national ambassador for Uncle Nearest Whiskey, is our guest. And I'm sure, Richie, you would uh, consider yourself a whiskey expert, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of those lucky folks who not only <laughs> drinks whiskey every day, but, uh, but it's part of their job to drink whiskey every day. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's a fortunate place to be. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me ask you, we have talked to some folks. I know the, the British basically look down their noses at Americans who want to put ice or water in their, their spirits because you're supposed to have it neat. You're supposed to appreciate the taste and the bouquet and the subtleness and all that kind of stuff. And you can't do anything to it that, that would change any of that. Um, how do you prefer to drink it? Do you just neat or do you like it uh, on the rocks or cocktails or what's, what's your, what's your preference here? This is what I always tell people. Firstly, you have to remember Drink it however the heck you please. It's your whiskey. Just, however you want to drink it. If you want to, if you want to uh, put some some ice or some water or some coke or, or whatever it is. If you want to put some some Mountain Dew or some Squirt in there, that's, yeah, go for it. It's, it's, it's totally up to you. But, yeah, but, uh, but having said that, um, when you have a bottle of whiskey in front of you, you have to to realize that the proof that that whiskey is in that bottle at it, it's in that bottle at a certain proof for a very specific reason. Uh, and that reason is because the master distiller or the master blender or the master taster uh, for that company has tasted that whiskey at a lot of different proofs. And I mean a, a lot. They will taste it everything from barrel strength, which could be as high as uh, 130 proof, all the way down to 80 proof. And they'll taste it at every increment in between. And when they're tasting, what their goal is to try and find at what proof that whiskey tastes its absolute finest in their opinion mm-hmm. uh, and so the folks at, at the brand have done a lot spent put in a lot of time finding the proof that they believe that whiskey tastes the most fabulous at so i always tell people give a little bit of respect to the to the distiller or the blender by tasting that whiskey neat at the proof that it was intended to be tasted at uh, what they believe was the best possible proof that that whiskey could be bottled at at least try to uh, at that proof and then if you want to add some water some ice or, or even some soft drinks afterwards, go for it. But at least spend that that uh, little bit of time to taste it at the way the distiller and the maker intended it to be tasted. We have a, a new sponsor here in the show uh, called a box of awesome.com. And they sent me a box and it's basically just stuff that guys would like. And in the box they sent me last month were two cocktail glasses with round bottoms. Basically they're like weebles. You know, the, the toys, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. These, yep, yep. These glasses are the same. They're designed for liquor, and they're designed to not stand still. They're designed to move around as you set them down on the table to let the, the liquor slosh back and forth. Uh-huh. They they say that that is a positive for drinking whiskeys specifically. Is is there something to that, or is this just a glass? That Absolutely. Just, okay. Explain that for yeah, me, Rich, if yeah, you will. Yeah, there's there's definitely something to that. So the, the theory behind it is that w- the way the taste process works is when you look at a glass of whiskey, it's basically just a glass of different variety of molecules uh, in there. And so 
when all of those molecules at room temperature are very volatile, they're, they're floating off of the whiskey and up into your nose and connecting with what's called your olfactory bulb. And that's how the taste process works. But if you leave a glass of whiskey uh, sat still on the table, it will actually uh, form a good amount of surface tension. When it forms surface tension uh, on the surface of the whiskey, it will. It means that all of those molecules inside the whiskey find it very difficult to, to start escaping and, and then floating up uh, um, into your nose, connecting with your olfactory bulb. So the theory behind that is if, is if you have that, that glass that keeps the whiskey moving, it doesn't allow a good amount of surface tension to build, which means that all of those volatile molecules in that glass of whiskey are constantly floating up off the, off the liquid and into your nose and, and connecting with your olfactory bulb and then being converted into a flavor. What sometimes looks like hype is actually science. I love that. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Richie Michaels, National Ambassador for Uncle Nearest Whiskey. And one more thing. We ran into a guy who drinks whiskey probably as often as you do, only because, I don't know, he's got a problem, not a job. But he would tell us that he's not a whiskey snob because we asked him what his favorites were, and he said he really didn't care. He wasn't a brand snob. But he was an ice mm -hmm. snob. He won't put any ice in his whiskey that's not made from spring water because he said that taints the taste. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Now the number one thing you want to uh, you want to avoid uh, in in your water is having any iron content. So whether you're adding water or you're adding ice to your whiskey, any kind of variety of water or ice that has any iron content, that is the the biggest detriment to to a glass of whiskey. Iron is going to um, instantly bring a a bitter content to to the liquid. So this this guy again, he uh, may not know the science behind it. He may just uh, uh, know he likes it, but uh, but there's definitely a, a little bit of science behind that hype right. too. Yeah, uh, you want to try and avoid any water with any chemical additives, uh, and particularly any water with high iron content. Well, I've been taking notes, Richie. So. My next glass of whiskey is going to be perfect. Yeah, is Uncle Nearest Whiskey available nationwide? Yeah, we are. We um, Our company is actually only uh, two years old in July. We are actually the second fastest uh, growing independently owned spirits company in U.S. history. In our first two years, we've uh, gone from exception to being distributed in, in 49 states and eight countries. Um, so you can, uh, you can I, I will leave the, uh, the, the last... State. I don't want to shame the 50th state on air, so uh, we'll leave them unknown. But uh, uh, yeah, 49 states and, and, eight, and eight countries currently available and growing at a very rapid pace. So when you're done with your round, you go in and ask for some Uncle Nearest. The chances are 49 out of 50 they're going to serve you. Not too shabby. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it depends. It depends on it. Well, I try and stay away from that number fifty as much as possible. I, 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 yeah. I stick to the good guys. Yeah, we won't have to mention them, like you say, but they're probably worth not going to anyhow. Richie Michaels, National Ambassador for Uncle Nearest Whiskey, man. Appreciate your time hanging with us on those weekend golf guys. Great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again, man. It was fun. Absolutely. Yep. Anytime. You just uh, let me know, and I'll be back back on the show for you. Gotcha, Thanks man. so much. Gotcha. Hey, hang out with us. We'll be right back. So I was out playing golf the other day, and my buddy I'm playing with, out of the clear blue, says, you know, when I retire, I am going to St. Andrews, and we are going to play there, and we're going to stay there for as long as we can. You're coming, right? And I was like, yeah, sure. So there's one more thing. The bucket list now gets a little bit bigger, and that's one more thing to add to what I'm saving for in my old age. You know, there's a kid's college, there's retirement in general, and now there's that week in St. Andrews, but that's okay. I want to tell you about some people you can trust. 
I want to introduce you to Halpern Financial. What would it be like if you had someone you could trust to help you figure out how to juggle all of the goals you have while making sure that you are meeting your needs right now in the, and, and in the future? You don't want to sacrifice now for later. You want to be able to live well now and later. You can get a path to wealth that just works with a team of experts at your beck and call technology that keeps tabs on your money. Financial education, that was the thing I liked the most because I obviously wasn't paying attention when I was younger. And also a personal touch that makes organizing your financial life feel achievable rather than daunting. So you don't have to choose. If you have a suite of financial experts available to you for all areas of your finances, from your portfolio to even decisions like whether you should buy or lease a car or whether or not you should start a business, Halpern Financial is a fiduciary. It's a fee-only, independent advisor that offers a combination of online tools and personal connection to help all the clients systematically achieve their goals. Tell you what I need you to do, okay? I want you to do this for me. I, no, I don't. I want you to do this for yourself. I want you to go to halpernfinancial.com weekend and just find out how close you are to achieving your financial goals. A little tune-up, see what you're doing, answer a few questions, and they'll be able to tell you what you need to do if you're not already doing it, halpernfinancial.com slash weekend. Please go there now. And it is us back again one more time. John Ashton here in studio, Jeff Smith, back from wherever it was he took his hiatus, and he is with us again from the Gulf Cave. And man, you teach an awful lot of people. Yeah. They learn what you have to teach them, and then they have to perfect it, and which inst- it means they have to practice. Okay? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to. And, but it um, just can't be random, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the thing, man, is, it, you know, what, what do you practice? Because there are so many different elements to the game. Can you practice them all at, in one fell swoop, or what, what do you do? You know, what I like to figure out a little bit about what is in that person's life that stops them from really practicing and say, okay, what are we trying to commit? How are we trying to figure out what's your goal? How do you get there? Right. And what do you have to put aside to actually put toward golf? And then we try to figure out where can you be? Where do you, you know, do you travel a lot? If so, do you travel? Can you take clubs with you or how are we going to get it so that you get the feedback you need in practicing? Because there are multiple things they could practice. What if they could take no clubs with them, but they could stop by a golf course and rent clubs? And in that case, they've got time on their hands, but maybe not enough time to you know, go out and play nine holes of golf or play 18 holes of golf. Maybe they just go work on their short game. Okay, those are good things. So figure out a little bit about them and what their goals are, how they can do it. And then you start giving them different techniques for this, that, and the other thing and what they need. And you put it all together and you make a plan. And you say, all right, John, this is the practice plan for John Ashton. Mm. How are we going to do this? And you're going to go, you're going to go full Allen Iverson on me. I know. <laughs> but what's going to happen is saying, all right, John, we're going to pick an hour out of this day, a couple hours out of that day. And then we're going to start doing a few things. And where I always start is, in the shots that cost you the most strokes during your round of golf. For example, let's just make up something here, John, and say that you're lousy off the tee. You had 18 tee shots, 
and you got 18 tee shots that give you extra strokes. They hit sideways. Well, that's the first thing that I want to do because that's costing you 18 plus strokes right away. So I want to start working on those things to get them better. And then we'll go out and go, all right, let's start working on maybe it's your swing path. Maybe it's your club face position. Maybe it's a combination. So we're going to work on it. Right, put my hands on a club in, in the way that you've got to do it. Swing in the direction the way you got to do it, but you've but you got to have feedback. And it can't all be ball flight. Because if part of your issue, John, is swing path, then we need to find out what's feedback of just swing path. Maybe car broke down you can't leave the house and you don't really have a lot of golf balls or space but maybe you could work out in the backyard and work on swing path and maybe john you were hitting a slice and your swing path was cutting across your body well john why don't we just get you a practice hour of swings maybe a half hour here and a half hour there of swings that you pass over so it's not letting your ball or your club go to the left maybe we put out a sponge or a pillow or something that we would put on the left side of your golf ball closer to your body so your club would have to pass on the other side of that sponge or pillow or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your head cover. And so that you could see the fact that you did it and feel that you did it, and then you somewhat put that together so you're learning that it was effective. Right? right. There is you can constitute that as practice. Right. right. And maybe another part of your swing and in checking out the grip is maybe your swing is good, the swing direction is good, but your club face is bad. So maybe it's a matter of your grip. Well maybe doing part of the practice would be putting your hands on the club in the way that you need to, move your hands with in the wrists back and through, and then all of a sudden you've got a club face that you can see at impact, being where you want. And neither of those two things required a ball. Neither of those two things required you to get on the golf course. Neither of those two things required you to get to the golf course, but yet they are feedback and their practice right. of doing it a certain way. Maybe the practice is you just put your hands on it in a certain way. Things you've got to understand that are in a plan that fit under the definition of practice. Once, too, you have you have um, determined what the problems are and have given those items of feedback. I mean, that's that's yeah. why a, a lesson is just just practicing. Practice it wrong, then you're not going to get any better. Yeah. Or you practice doing the wrong thing. I don't mean practice wrong. You practice doing the wrong thing or the wrong fix or whatever. It's not going to help. One needs to figure out what the problem is, A, and then B, how to fix the problem or problems. Right. And, and in order, find some way of uh, knowing what they're doing so they can do it, like you say, without having to go to a golf course, without having to play around, without get a 15 extra minutes between appointments or phone calls or whatever. Just pick up a club and swing it a little bit. As long as the, there's feedback that tells you you did something in the way that you need to do it. Yes. Right. Yeah. And the rest of it is scheduling. And then the difficulty here is people have an awful lot of things going on in their life, so maybe they can't get to the golf course. You know, if it was basketball practice and you were with a team, you actually had to go to a certain location and practice for a certain amount of time because that's the only time, you, you know, you had gym time. Exactly. And you got to get there. So that's a, a thing that's firm on the schedule. But if you treated the golf practice the same way, you'd actually get better. 
you know, you got to be diligent on the scheduling. You know, you can't just fake it and get better. Right. You got to actually do something. So scheduling what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. But the biggest part about practice plan is essentially feedback. What did I do? How do I know? And then how do you record that? How do you track it? Are you just saying, oh, yeah, I got a feeling I'm getting better? Or do you have some way of saying, yeah, I know I'm getting better? So I like to give people practice things to do, like when there's balls around, and we talk about hitting a shot. The thing is, is I, I like to go in little batches of, of five balls and ten balls to say, all right, here, I'm working on this thing for the next five shots. And if it did it, for those five shots, you count one did, one didn't, one did, one did, one did. Now, all of a sudden, you got four out of five. I'm pretty pleased with four out of five. That's 80% success. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Right? So then I go batches of 10 next, then batches of 15. And then what I do is I learn how much did I get better. And sometimes it's distance, and sometimes it's direction, and sometimes it's center-based contact, and you know, those kind of things. Sometimes it's, it's hitting it flush as opposed to fat or thin. And you work on specific things, but you kind of make notes of what it is. And you find the way that's easy for you to record it and prove to yourself that you're actually improving. Because pretty soon what will happen is you'll be doing it, and then you go, ah, I don't really know if I'm making headway here or not. But if you had a way to prove it to yourself, like you kept record of it, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you could be a little bit more diligent. You would accept the notion, John, that practice really does help. I know that's a common thing we talk about, right? Oh, yeah. Figuring that out. It does actually help when you prove it to yourself. I mean, I'm, I think I'm the one that told you that, aren't I? Maybe not. Maybe but, I get us confused. I'm not sure. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, for a long time, you were going, you know, full Allen Iverson and going, what? We talk about practice? Come on. We don't need no practice. That's right. Right? That's right. Point is, is that sometimes the satisfaction in golf is knowing that you're improving. Right. A skill. So golf does not have to be only the number you write down at the end of the day on how many holes shots it took you to get it in the hole all the way around the golf course. Yeah. Sometimes you can satisfy yourself by knowing that you're improving certain things. And sometimes improvement is maintaining the same level for a longer period of time and not having a drop-off. Exactly. we've been through that, right? Yes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just maintenance. So that way your game doesn't have peaks and big valleys. Right. You said something to me last Sunday that uh, kind of is associated with what we're talking about here. And you, you were telling me where you just said about the number. Because we were talking about numbers and, and getting below certain target numbers that we have in our head. And how yeah. psychologically that can be really tough to do. And you gave me some great advice, man. You, you said keep score by keeping track of your shots on a scale of one to five. A one yeah. being a shot that you could never do worse than, and a, a five being the best possible. And as I predicted, because I was playing with intrepid producer Mark, I had I had no ones whatsoever, because even the bad sh- even the bad shots I hit, Mark was like, "Oh no, I've seen you do worse." <laughs> so, 
<laughs> and you're going, yeah, thanks for reminding yeah, me of that. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I did have quite a few threes and fours, and I, I was able to pinpoint exactly where where I, I have, and I have two bad problems that, again, I probably need to take a couple refresher courses from you and then move on and practice them. But right. One is but let's, let's let's go to that scale real quick. Okay. One is so bad that even Mark would say, "Wow, John, yeah. I've not seen you do it that badly before." Exactly. And a two would just be a regular old bad golf shot. Right. And three is an okay shot, and four is a good shot, and five is the best shot that you'll ever strike. That's a good scale. I, I came to almost a five. It was a perfect three wood except for the aim. I hit it as far as I wanted. It was 210 yards, man, from the middle of a fairway. And I, I hit it. How about that? And it was just a little bit right of the green and just a tad past pin high, but still. But the fairway woods, <laughs> you, you know how it sounds when you hit. I mean, even the people, they, nobody I was playing with saw it. They just heard it. And they went, oh, my, that sounded beautiful. And I said, well, with the exception of it being in a rough and about, you know, 14 feet too far right, it was beautiful. But those are my problems, man. Hitting from gnarly rough close to a green and then getting the speed of the green down. Those are two things I know I'm going to have to get in my car. I'm going to have to drive up there, you know, probably write you a check and sit with you for an hour. I will frame it and <laughs> hang it on the wall. That's good. As long as you don't cash it, we'll be fine. <laughs> you, you know how that goes, buddy. You know, hey, I know how that goes. Right. Just bring lunch with you. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. So my golf coach has given me a lecture about numbers, about know your numbers, keep track of your numbers. How else are you going to improve if you don't know your numbers? And my business coach did the same thing. He said, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. That's a quote. And the problem was that I had too many systems, one for accounting, one for sales, another for inventory. And it's inefficient. It's a mess takes up too much time, too many resources, and it gets to the point where, you know, you just say, oh, the heck with it, and it hurts the bottom line. I want you to uh, check out NetSuite by Oracle. It's what we've checked out. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in one easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you visibility and control, and that's what you need to grow. You use NetSuite, you're going to save time, you're going to save money, and you're going to have no unneeded headaches. It'll manage sales, financing, accounting, orders, HR, instantly, everything right from your desktop or your phone. And that is why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. It's called Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. It's at netsuite.com slash weekend. That's netsuite.com slash weekend. Download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash weekend. Listen, we got, some, we got a few moments uh, together, yet some more today. So uh, hang out because we're coming right back. They say if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. I know radio inside and out. Jeff Smith knows golf inside and out. We didn't know our numbers. <laughs> we were growing. We had one system for accounting. We had another for sales. It took up too much time and too many resources, and that really hurt our bottom line. I want to introduce you to NetSuite by Oracle. 
the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and the control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, unneeded headaches, all by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, even HR instantly right from your desktop or your phone. And that's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you some valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. It's at netsuite.com slash weekend. That's netsuite.com slash weekend. Download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. netsuite.com slash weekend. Hey, I told you we'd be back, and I have yet to lie to you. Uh, it's probably coming up sometime soon, but right now is not the time. I am John Ashton. He is Jeff Smith, and we are collectively known as Those Weekend Golf Guys. ThoseWeekendGolfGuys.com, great place to go. Hey, we, we're giving away a Ben Hogan equalizer wedge, and you've got about three more days to register to win it. Just go to ThoseWeekendGolfGuys.com, and you'll be able to figure out from there where to go to win the wedge. Or go to Facebook.com slash Golf Guys Easier. And just go there and uh, get the link to go to the website and I've been stuffing the ballot. Have you? you? I've been stuffing the ballot box. You bet you. Well, good. You're going to give it to me, aren't you? Because I need, I, I get maybe, no, because it's not a magical cure. Chipping and pitching are my problems, but it's not because the clubs I have aren't any good. It's because the swing I have or the, the mental idea of how to do it I have is not any good. Or maybe your ball position's bad. Well, it could be. A, a whole combination of ball position, swing, the whole nine yards. But uh, I have been practicing, and you notice the use of the word that fell trippingly from my tongue. Um, I can't believe it. I know. And what you said a couple weeks ago, too, about hitting wedges from like 40 yards in. Yeah. Uh, I've been getting my, my distances down on, on partial swing wedge shots and um, doing quite well on that. Doing quite well. Want to thank That's you for good. that. You know, and should That's you have good. should you have any problems? We've got to get now that summer kind of arrived. Temperatures are such that well, we do it early in the morning, so you won't die of heat stroke. But um, we got to yep. get some more uh, live from the golf caves uh, on uh, Facebook Live, man, because people got problems, and we have the fix, but we got to hook them up with it, right? We need got to it. do that. So. I'm, I'm a fixer. He is the fixer. So you want to go to thoseweekendgolfguys.com. Uh, actually, no, what you want to do is go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash golfguys. That is probably the main place to go. Follow us there. You'll always be alerted when we go live. Go there, and you'll be able to uh, sign up to win the Ben Hogan Equalizer Wedge. We'll be giving it away well before you hear us again next weekend. So uh, just go there, facebook.com slash golfguys, and register to win the Ben Hogan Wedge. And that will also give you directions on everywhere else you need to go, all the links to all the places you can find us. So go get a plan. A, figure out your problems. B, figure out how to fix them. C, Get some sort of a feedback to know you're doing it good. D, go practice doing it well. And E, go play some golf.